Open your Bibles tonight to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. I hope that all of you understand the concept of self-serving subjects. But I also hope that you have enough charity and wisdom to know that that's not what I'm doing tonight. A self-serving subject is when a pastor preaches a subject to serve himself or to promote himself or to do something for himself. I'm going to preach a subject tonight that sounds sort of that way, but I do it because it's part of the counsel of God. And I'm trusting you to have the charity and the wisdom to receive it that way. I believe that you will. In Acts chapter 8, I want to read two verses to you. In verses 30 and 31, we have the Spirit of God telling Philip to go near and join himself to a chariot that contains the Ethiopian eunuch. On his way back from Jerusalem, where he's been worshiping, to his boss, Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. And I want to read the 30 and the 31st verses. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. I want to preach to you tonight a short message entitled, Do We Need Teachers? The reason I want to teach it to you is there is a modern phenomenon that's relatively recent in origin that questions whether we need teachers. And the reason is because you are living in the information explosion. Because of the information explosion, everyone has so much information that do we really need teachers? After all, anything's accessible on the Internet. After all, there's seminars and books and tapes and videos and conferences and every possible means that we can use ourselves. Do we really need teachers? You're going to run into it. You're going to find it difficult and frustrating at times because no one's going to want to listen because once you've imbibed this heresy, then you believe that you're capable yourself of understanding everything. And once you take that position, then it's very difficult to want to listen to anyone. But I wanted to start with Acts chapter 8 because that's the situation that many of us were once in. And it's the situation of how we're going to meet others, reading the Word of God, Loving the Word of God. Remember, why was the Ethiopian eunuch in Jerusalem? To worship. And he had the Scriptures. We're not talking about 1985. We're talking about the year 33 A.D. How many people had the Scriptures? How many eunuch black Gentiles had the Scriptures? He was serious. And when Philip said, do you know what you're reading? Do you understand it? He said, how can I, unless some man will guide me? Brethren, do we need teachers? The first point I want to make tonight is the argument from those that don't think we need them, it goes like this. But ain't I a priest? In Baptist theology, and I particularly mean Southern Baptist theology, it's called the priesthood of the believer. And when you say, don't you know that you need a teacher, they'll answer by saying, but ain't I a priest? 
Yes, you are. Let's go look at the verse that they need to know to be able to show us that they're, the, that they're priests. It's Revelation chapter 1 and verse 6. Let's see that it is in the Word of God where we read in Revelation 1.6 that God hath made us kings and priests unto God and His Father. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Jesus Christ, by, com- by looking at verses 5 and 6, loved us, washed us from our sins, and made us kings and priests to God. But because you're a king and a priest to God by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, does that mean you don't need a teacher? No. And they argue that from the word priest. Well, it also says king. Does that mean we don't need President Clinton and we can overthrow our government? Where will we draw the line if you're going to apply a sense like that to that verse? This verse is talking about our access to God. In the Old Testament, there were two men that could pray and intercede for a nation. There was the priest and there was the king. You say, could kings do it? Why don't you go read the prayer of Solomon and see if God heard his prayer? Go read the prayers of David and see if God heard their prayers. They weren't from the tribe of Levi, they were from the tribe of Judah, and God heard their prayers. They had direct access to God. When we read here, what we're to understand, the sense of this verse is, Jesus died for us, opened up the way into heaven, so that everyone, man, woman, and child, has free access into the presence of God by the blood of Jesus Christ. It isn't altering at all the practical relationships of life that we need kings, that we need pastors, as we're going to see, that we need teachers. That's a false argument. In Baptist theology, it's called the priesthood of the believer. I've recently been debating by the Internet an editor of the Greenville News on this very subject because he was raised in a Southern Baptist church, and I understand where his understanding comes from, but he says, don't you believe in the priesthood of the believer? Well, of course I do, because it's in the Bible. That means that we can all go to Jesus Christ and confess our sins without having to go to some priest on earth. We can go straight to God with the blood of Jesus Christ. But he meant, don't you understand that anyone can interpret the Scriptures? And the reason for his argument was, aren't women called as much as men to be preachers? But he started with the priesthood of the believer. But ain't I a priest? Yes, we have the Internet. Indeed. Do you know what the Internet means to me when I look at it and consider it in light of the Word of God? It means 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 7. Ever learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Amen, More information than the world has ever seen, and yet less truth. Amen. An information explosion is not the same thing as a truth explosion. We're having a truth implosion while we have an information explosion. And we were told that that would happen. It's a prophecy in 2 Timothy 3, 7. Information would increase, learning would increase, but truth would decline. Because men would have itching ears, they would turn away from sound doctrine, 2 Timothy 4, and be turned into fables. A A little knowledge is dangerous. You know, you can get on the Internet now and read about heart surgery. But what are you going to say when someone comes at you that you know drove a truck with a skill saw while you're laying in bed needing heart surgery? And you say, what are you doing with that skill saw? Well, I read an article on the Internet about heart surgery. You going to let them get any closer? 
My point being, a little knowledge is dangerous. And it is. I hear another argument, but sharing is so much fun. Remember, we're under the heading of a sermon entitled, Do We Need Teachers? And one of the arguments is, but sharing is so much fun. Of course it is. It's fun to have 30 people sitting in a circle sharing. 30 people sitting in a circle will come up with 40 wrong ideas. Because once you've made the rounds and got the first 30, 10 of them will have rethought theirs by other things that they've heard and will add 10 more. And you'll have 40 wrong ideas. That is not the way that God's ordained for us to come up with truth. And I'm going to again call on you in the name of Jesus Christ. Remember, I'm preaching this because it's the whole counsel of God, and it's an error It's an error prevalent today in our society that no longer are teachers needed. We've got the Bible. We've got the Bible automated. I can find any verse in the Bible in one second because I've got an online Bible. Amen. There have been whole denominations that have based their religion on this theory that you don't need teachers. The Plymouth Brethren founded by a man named Irving and J.N. Darby in England 150 years ago, the Quakers, the house church movement. Many of of those in the house church movement do not believe that you need a pastor or anyone teaching. You can just assemble together and everyone share, and that's how you come up with God's instruction for our lives. But that isn't what the Bible teaches, brethren. Yes, we all have free access to God. Everyone in here, a man, a woman, and a child, with the blood of Jesus Christ, can go to God and ask for confession and make confession and ask for forgiveness of sins and receive it. Amen. But isn't the Bible easy to understand? Why do I need a teacher? Isn't it easy to understand? Well, I wonder why Philip didn't have come up to that chariot and say, that book you're reading there is pretty easy to understand. You should be able to figure it out before you get to the next oasis. No, he said, do you understand? And the man said, how can I, except some man should guide me? Now, it's a passage you know. It's Isaiah 53. But I dare say that if you'd never heard a gospel preacher in your life, and you read Isaiah 53, you'd have the same question the Ethiopian eunuch did. Is Isaiah talking about himself or some other man? And what did Philip get to preach from that point on? Jesus. Jesus. He got to preach Jesus to him. Isn't the Bible easy to understand? Let's think about that for a minute. There are six billion people on planet Earth tonight. Two billion of them claim to be Christians. Christians mean they're following Jesus Christ, and supposedly, since Jesus Christ is the author of the Word of God, they're following the Bible. But out of those two billion, 1.9 billion, or 1,900,000,000, are wrong on three points about the simplest subject in the Bible. Baptism. One point one billion nine hundred million of those two billion believe that baptism saves your soul. It's called baptismal regeneration. That's that you do it to babies, and that you do it by dripping a few drops of water on their forehead. Now something seriously is wrong. All you have to do is open your Bible, read from Matthew to Revelation. Every time the subject of baptism comes up. They're around some body of water, like a river, and they're going down into the water. And whenever you read about baptism in its figurative presentation in the Bible, it's about a burial and a resurrection. A very simple subject. Men have made it complex. Very simple in the Bible. All you have to do is read about like a third grader and see that whenever there was a baptism, it was down in the water. 
Is the Bible easy to understand? What in the world's happened? False teachers. Because that's one of the great dangers. That's why there needs to be teachers to do battle against false teachers. How in the world could so many be wrong on a point that is so simple? And when I say it's simple, do you know who we give all the glory to? The Lord God Himself. You know what it says in the book of Proverbs chapter 8? They're all simple to him that understandeth. And where does understanding come but from the fear of the Lord and by the grace of God He's opened our eyes to see it? Were it not for His mercy, we could be as easily deceived on those three points and we might have invented two more of our own so that we could be off on five about the subject of baptism. It's all by the grace of God. But it's also by teachers. I'm thankful that I was taught from a very early age about being buried in water and raised again. My, my own father did it to me when I was about eight years of age. I'm glad I was taught that. I had a teacher. I had a father and I had a pastor. You know, the Apostle Peter, when he's writing in Second Peter chapter 3, he said that Paul wrote of many things hard to be understood. Now, if Peter would say that Paul's writings were hard to be understood, should we just wade in there and think that we're going to come out with the right understanding? Peter said that. If Peter's that makes that scares me. I'm supposed to be your pastor. I approach the word of God with fear. And when I hear these people saying we don't need a teacher, I don't understand their presumption when it comes to the word of God. I'm frightened every day of my life. I want to rightly divide the word of truth that I'm not ashamed in the sense that I give you from a verse. And if you think that I'm ever avoiding a chapter of the Bible, there's a reason why. It scares me like the dark scared you when you were two years old. It is dark, and I'm waiting for the Lord to give me light on it. And I want you to pray, and I appreciate the prayer tonight, that the Lord will continue to give me light. I make that prayer that David had in Psalm 119, Open thou mine eyes, that I might behold wondrous things out of thy law. The Bible is difficult to understand, and it was intended to be so. That is unknown to the world. I've preached it before in detailed messages of great length which I don't want to do tonight, neither do you want me to do. Great length. For instance, and some of this is elementary to to some of you, Jesus spoke in parables. It's commonly taught that Jesus spoke in parables, which are an earthly story with a heavenly meaning to make it easy for common people to understand. That is the opposite of the truth. Jesus was asked why he spoke in parables, and those that asked him asked because they wanted to know why he was making it so difficult for the people by speaking in parables. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. Somebody will say, but isn't the Bible easy? You are going to run into people. You might invite them to church. You might invite them to listen to a tape. You might invite them to have a Bible study, and they'll say, but I've got the Bible. Well, so did the eunuch. The eunuch had the Bible, but he needed Philip. And the combination of the two of them had the eunuch down in an oasis very quickly. And that's the glorious way that it ought to work. Matthew chapter 13, verse 10. He's just given a parable in the first nine verses. The disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? Does anybody, do you know what a parable is? A, a, A parable. It's not a story to make things easier. It's a story with a mystery to it that takes some ingenuity to figure out. 
And why did the disciples even ask the question in verse 10? Did they ask the question in this way? Jesus, why are you making it so easy for people to understand? Is that why they were asking? No, they were asking, why are you speaking in parables and making it so difficult? In fact, Lord, we don't understand. Verse 11, he answered and said unto them, because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. Somebody will say, Pastor, you just misspoke that they were confused. Uh, No, you're forgetting something. Jesus went ahead and gave them the interpretation of it. Pastor's still right. Don't worry. I wasn't going to follow up on this. Verse 11 says that Jesus gave the answer, because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. And he goes on to explain why. Most of that Jewish nation did not deserve to know the truth. They had had prophets sent to them generation after generation and had rebelled against them and refused their message. God has limited patience. He is said to be long-suffering, but He is not said to be forever suffering. And He had drawn a line with that nation. If you go ahead and read verses 12, verse 13, Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And he was keeping them from being converted, if you'll go ahead and read verse 15. Because he was bringing judgment on that nation. There was a remnant within Israel that he wanted to hear the gospel. He preached to them. They understood it. They followed him. They obeyed. They were baptized. And they followed him right through Pentecost. Amen. Is the Bible easy to understand? I wouldn't say so, not with Jesus saying it's called the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Do you know what a mystery is? It's something you don't know. Jesus, how, isn't that right? Amen. Isn't a mystery something you don't know? Well, Jesus called it the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. He gave them to his disciples because he explained them to them, but they didn't understand until after Pentecost. Do you know how confused those disciples were all the way up until the day of Pentecost when God sent his Holy Spirit down and filled Peter? Peter was a different man after Acts chapter 1. Amen. Peter stands up in Acts chapter 1 and starts explaining the Psalms that had prophesied about Judas falling from his bishop prick and it being given to another man. And you're saying, is this the man that was denying the Lord just a few days ago? That's what God the Holy Spirit can do. But where does God the Holy Spirit work in interpreting Scripture the most? In His teachers. What is God's pattern? Look at Malachi chapter 2. Let's go see what the pattern of God is for learning for the people of God. Is it Bible sharing groups? Is it the internet? Is it just reading the Bible alone? And the last thing I want to do is discourage reading the Bible. I just want you to be sober about reading the Bible. Look, this church just did something unusual for all the men age 13 and up. Amen. Three tools, not commonly known, that are very useful in you understanding your Bible more quickly, more efficiently than most. But at the same time, I want to teach this because you're going to run into this error. In Malachi chapter 2 and verse 7, he's speaking about the tribe of Levi. And from the tribe of Levi, we had the priests and we had the Levites, and the combination of them were the teachers of Israel. And we read in verse 7, For the priest's lips should keep knowledge. And they should seek the law at his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. 
The Lord has chosen teachers under the Old Covenant. The Lord's chosen teachers under the New Covenant. And it's by those teachers, their lips, are the vehicle God has chosen to convey His truth to His people. It's not by independent study. It's not by Bible correspondence courses. It's by God's ordained, called, gifted, enabled men who are preaching faithfully the Word of God. That's how we're to learn. And I hope that every one of you right now as you're hearing my words are being thankful in your heart for the teachers that you have had in your life that have shown you the way of God more perfectly. I am. I am. When I look at that two billion, I don't get haughty. I get thankful that I'm in the hundred million that at least see the doctrine of baptism. If it hadn't been for teachers in my past, I can sprinkle with the rest of them. It's by the grace of God. This is the pattern of God, Malachi chapter 2. Where would we turn for the greatest Bible teaching service of the Old Testament? Nehemiah. What chapter? 8. Nehemiah chapter 8. Let's just go read a a verse or two in Nehemiah chapter 8. Malachi 2 told us God had chosen Levites. Their lips were the instructional vehicle for teaching Israel the word of God. And the people of Israel were to seek at that man for their knowledge. Nehemiah chapter 8, you know how much I would like to read verses 1 through 12 and comment on each clause. But we can't do that. I want to start at verse... Oh, can I start at 5 and go to 8, please? Start at 1. 5. Mark's got zeal. We're thankful for that. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. What a glorious service. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Now just hold on and follow with me. Because I think verse 7 is the most important verse for tonight. Also Jeshua and Bani and Sherebiah, Jamin, Akab, Shabbathai, Hodijah, Maaseah, Kelita, Azariah, Jazabad, Hanan, Peleah, and the Levites caused the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. So they read in the book, in the law of God distinctly, and gave the sense, and caused them to understand the reading. That is how knowledge is communicated. They read in the book of the law of God distinctly, they gave the sense, they caused the people to understand the reading. That is how we learn truth. I'm thankful I learned it that way. It was committed to my trust by the Lord and by other ministers, and I want to commit it to you. This is how we do it. Why does a man stand up in front? They did here. Ezra was actually on the pulpit. And I'll get on this pulpit if it will help you listen better. Ezra was on the pulpit so that all the people could see him open the book. Isn't that they loved the Word of God? And he read it to them distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. Now, why is verse 7 the most important to me? Why did he stick all those names right in the middle of a glorious passage? Because 
those men were the teachers. Amen. You know, we look at all those names because we don't exactly have syllables like that in our names, and we say those are very unusual, difficult to pronounce. And when I read my Bible, I usually skip verses like that. You may think that way. God, the Holy Spirit, listed all of them by name, showing the importance of the role of a teacher getting up and reading in the Word of God distinctly and giving the sense. I'm going to leave the passage, but I want to point out that in verse 12, they were so excited about this that they had a great celebration. They had a great gift exchange and sent portions of food and had a celebration. And I read in verse 12, all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and to make great mirth because they had understood the words that were declared unto them. The greatest cause for celebration, or one of the greatest causes for celebration in the whole world, is because you understand the Word of God. Amen. We ought to celebrate the fact that we're Baptists. We don't celebrate the fact that we're Baptists to poke fun at anyone else. We celebrate the fact that we're Baptists because God has opened the Word of God to us to see that that is the Bible way of baptism. Right. And we ought to celebrate it like these people did. Amen. And it comes to us by way of teachers who give us the sense of verses, and I'm so thankful to God for it, and I hope you are. That is God's pattern. And when men try to interfere with that pattern, God is serious in His judgment. I read about a Miriam and an Aaron. They were the sister and the brother of Moses. And in Numbers chapter 12, they thought that it wasn't fair that Moses got to do most of the preaching. And you should have seen the leprosy that came up in Miriam's face. That was God judging that woman for opening her mouth against Moses, who was the chosen servant of the Most High God. And Moses prayed for, and God heard his prayer. And God still said, I want her sent out of the camp for seven days, because even if she'd spit in her father's face, she deserves to go out there for a week. Three million Jews, Israelites, stopped and stayed in one place for one whole week while Miriam sat outside the camp like a leper because she had opened her mouth to think that she could preach right alongside with Moses. You can read, there's a whole chapter in the Bible for it, Numbers 12. Numbers 16, Korah thinks that he can do it. And God opens the earth and swallows him up alive with his friends, with his wives, and with his children. Because he thought that he was as holy as Moses. This isn't any self-promotion, brethren. This is the promotion of God's ministry. Amen. I want to tell you something. Anyone who knows me knows this is totally true. I'd rather sit and hear Moses preach than pretend I was Moses. Amen. I'd rather, I'd rather sit and listen to Ezra read the Word of God distinctly and give the sense because it's a scary job to try to give the sense. I'd much rather hear Ezra read it and give it to me because I, I can get excited about hearing the Word of God. I've heard it in the past and I've been excited and those of you who've seen me sitting and hearing it know that I appreciate hearing the Word of God taught. What's God's pattern? That's God's pattern. When Paul arrives in Athens, he sees a city wholly given to idolatry. What does he say when he sees the Athenians? You need to make it down to the local bookstore and get yourself a copy of the New Testament? No, he preaches to them the Word of God. He tells them that they're superstitious and ignorant. What city was he saying that in? The city of Athens. Where else would you go for wisdom and learning in that time but to Athens? That was the cradle of the Greek civilization. 
The Bible says the Greeks seek after wisdom. We don't even have to go to natural history. That was the learning center of the world. And when Paul gets there, he tells him, you're superstitious, you're ignorant. Now listen to me. God that giveth life and breath to all men doesn't dwell in temples made with cement blocks. And then he goes and preaches the gospel to them about Jesus Christ that they better repent because he's been appointed to be the judge of the quick and the dead. They heard something brand new that day. They also heard about the resurrection of the dead. And those that listened heard something brand new and they believed and they were converted. They had a lot of Greek deities in Athens, but they didn't have the resurrection of the dead. All men wish they had the resurrection of the dead, but we've got it in the gospel. Thank you, Lord. Look at Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18. Do we need teachers? Who was the most gifted, according to the Scriptures, on what we're told about men? I don't mean their traditional education. I mean their gifts in eloquence and their knowledge of the Word of God and their fervent spirit. Apollos. Apollos. Look at Acts 18, verse 24. And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in the Spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. The credentials of Apollos. Eloquent, mighty in the Scriptures. Now when the Holy Ghost tells me the man's mighty in the Scriptures, I want to meet him. Don't you? When the Holy Ghost says that, that man is mighty in the Scriptures. This isn't him giving his testimony, and this isn't someone else talking about him. This is the Holy Ghost inspiring these words. He was instructed in the way of the Lord, and he was fervent in spirit. What a preacher! But I read about two tent makers in the next verse. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. Two tent makers are able to sit Apollos down and say, Listen, we heard you preach this afternoon. And I mean, you know the Bible, and your spirit up there was excellent, and you're mighty in the Scriptures, and you know the way of the Lord, but you were wrong on a few points, and let us show them to you. And and when those two tent makers were done with Apollos, look at verse 28. Well, let's get verse 27. When he was disposed to pass in to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who, when he was come, helped them much, which had believed through grace, for he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly, showing by the Scriptures that Jesus was Christ. Find me anyone else in the New Testament that was able to mightily convince the Jews, and that publicly, that Jesus was the Christ. But how did he get so competent? God gave him gifts, and he needed a teacher. But what? Now if Apollos had said, do I need a teacher? I could understand him asking the question, can you? Mighty in the Scriptures, fervent in spirit, instructed in the way of the Lord, and eloquent. I can understand him saying it. But when some neophyte comes along, the term in the Bible is a novice. When a novice comes along and thinks that they don't need a teacher, that's the height of arrogance. Apollos didn't have any. He let two tent makers, a man and his wife, sit him down at their supper table and explain the Word of God to him. We need teachers, brethren. What's the pattern? Let's look at one more verse about the pattern. 2 Timothy chapter 2. 
2 Timothy chapter 2. This is how God perpetuates His truth in the earth. It's not by sharing. It's not by the internet. It's by a succession of ministers. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Who wrote that verse with his pen? Paul. To whom did he write the verse? Timothy. He told Timothy to find other men who should be faithful men who would be able to teach others also. Four generations of ministers. Nowhere in the New Testament are we taught church succession. Some have come from denominational groups that believe in church succession. One church extends an arm, builds another church, and we have a succession of churches. We're not taught that in the Bible. We're taught of ministerial succession, and we're taught about it right here. One God called man preaches publicly. Another God called man hears that, and that he is ordained. That word is committed to him, and he goes and preaches it to others. And those men start churches by baptizing converts. And that's how God has perpetuated His truth in the earth. Yes, we need teachers. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, does God give gifts? Well, this is, this is answering the question, do we need teachers? Why does God give gifts if we don't? Because we do. Ephesians chapter 4, and whenever you read this about the gifts of the ministry, remember it's a quotation from Psalm 68. I read in verse 8 of Ephesians 4, Wherefore he saith, that's from Psalms, When he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now we have a little parenthesis in verses 9 and 10 that's dealing with another subject. It's in parentheses, which means we can overlook it for the time being to follow our point. That's why it's in parentheses. Isn't that what parentheses stand for? Yes. So we go to verse 11, talking about those gifts that verse 8 ended up with. The gifts are, and he gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Those are four gifts, not five, four. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, and one office called pastor or it's called teacher because the same man does both. That's why it says, and some pastors and te- pastor and teacher, pastors and teachers. What's the purpose of their gifts? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. That's a mouthful, that's a long sentence, and we didn't even finish it. But the point is, God gave these gifts in order for the perfecting of the saints. The saints are not perfected by getting together and sharing. The saints aren't perfected by the Internet. The saints aren't perfected by private Bible study. The saints are perfected by teachers God gifted. Jesus Christ gave His gifts after He rose up on high, and their purpose is for the perfecting of the saints, Amen. the work of the ministry, the edifying of the body of Christ, till we are all formed just like the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. And any of you that are serious listeners for the last six months, 
you know exactly how I'm trying to form you. Amen. Don't you? Amen. I want 50 brothers that look like clones of the Lord Jesus Christ Amen. and sisters. And then that 14th verse says that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro. And if you don't understand the danger of that 14th verse, you need to talk to more people out there in the world that are tossed to and fro today. Tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine, all sorts of ideas, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. You know, people don't like that language. Are there ministers out there that are actually trying to deceive people? Absolutely. They were there in Paul's day. What saves us from men like that? What saves us from a Jim Jones cult in one extreme to a Joseph Smith Mormonism that's the fastest growing religion in the world to a Jehovah's Witness religion started by a man named Charles Taze Russell? What saves us from all that? There's millions of people following those cults. What saves us? God called men who are faithful to their calling that protect us from every wind of doctrine. Yes, we need teachers, and I hope we're thankful for them. What are the best gifts in the New Testament church? Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. What's the best gift in the New Testament church? Is it tongues? If you were to look around at the charismatic movement, the way they talk, it's tongues. Prophecy. What is prophecy? Edification. It's teaching. It's public proclamation of the will of God. We think of prophecy foretelling the future. That's, ma- that's narrowing the word too much. Prophecy in the Bible is public declaration of the will of God. Past, history, present, what you ought to be doing, and some of that little bit of future. But it's the declaration of the mind of God. And that's what the prophets did. The prophets weren't always telling the future. They were usually telling the now, what you ought to be doing now to repent. You go back and read Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, aren't they telling that nation to repent? Amen. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 28, God hath set some in the church. Here are the, here are the gifts, and He's going to list them for us in order. Now, I like it when the Lord makes it easy. First, apostles. I agree. Paul belongs first. Amen. Secondarily, prophets. I'll let John the Baptist stay right where he belongs. Thirdly, teachers. After that, miracles. Now, does that make sense to you? Natural sense to you? If I could come up here tonight and just stand here and look at this pulpit and say in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, flip over on your back, would you be impressed? You would be. If someone came in here tonight very ill and you had to roll them in on a stretcher and you rolled them up here, and I waved my hand over them and said, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, get up off your bed and walk. And they got up off their bed and walked. Would you be impressed? But what does the Bible say about the value of that gift of miracle? Well, healing is even farther down the list. But miracles versus teaching. Teaching is above it. But that's not the way we naturally think, is it? Do you know what that means? We've already imbibed a little tiny bit of the heresy. Because we don't exalt teaching to the appropriate place that it belongs. God sending us a mouth that will tell us the truth. Oh, Elihu says it so well. I don't even have it in my notes, but I just know, I mean, the Lord wants you to have it. 
in, Jer- in Job chapter 33, when Elihu is explaining the whole situation of Job to him, he's the only one that understood. He said, God often does these things with men, Job. Sometimes he'll take a man, chasing him on his bed with pain, give him affliction and trouble in his life, make him miserable. He doesn't want to eat. He's, he's, he's ruined in many different aspects of his life, materially, spiritually, mentally, emotionally. But Job, if there's a man there, it's a messenger from God that can tell you that a ransom's been found. He can make your flesh again like a flesh of a child. Amen. And who was that man in the book of Job? Elihu was. Right. And then God came and backed Elihu up in chapters 38 through 41. Amen. The messenger. E- Elihu spoke about the value of a messenger when we need some hope. And, a men- and the message of God comes from God's word. It is wonderful. Amen. It's glorious. We need to exalt teaching to where it belongs. In this list, list that's in, I have a list too, but in the list, verse 28. In verse 28, what's the last gift? The least important in the church? Tongues. Tongues. I just wish all those people that exalt gifts so much would get them in the right order. If they'd reverse the tongues, which don't profit anyone, and lift up the teaching, which can profit everyone, maybe they'd be saved from some of the errors they run into. But let's keep God's order. And I, I, I use that little illustration of the miracle just for you to think about it. Teaching is more important in the opinion of God. Amen. Are all teachers? No. Can you be self-taught? No. Did God plan for you to be self-taught in the Word of God and the truth? No, no He didn't. Did he plan for me to be self-taught? No, he didn't. Paul taught Timothy. Timothy was to find faithful men who would teach others. And guess what? One of those others taught me. More than one of those others taught me. Several of those others, including my father. And I'm very thankful for that. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Here's a verse that I think... Many are many, many memorize, and it's a wonderful verse. But I want you to remember to whom it's written. Second Timothy chapter two and verse fifteen: Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. This verse, though many children memorize it in Bible school programs and Sunday school programs, this verse does not apply to all church members. This verse is for the man of God. This verse is for the workman. This verse is for the one that's got to rightly divide the word of truth. The point I want to make is that the scriptures are primarily the man of God's. Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, because it's the minister that's got to do the dividing. This verse isn't written to the church at Rome. This isn't written to the church of the Corinthians. This isn't written to Galatia. It's not written to the seven churches of Asia. It's written to a minister. Amen. And we also believe that about chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable to make anyone who wants to be self-taught knowledgeable, to make the man of God perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. And then it goes right on into chapter 4. If the man of God will submit himself to the word of God and then preach the word, verse 2 of chapter 4, that is how knowledge, truth is perpetuated. Because men are going to turn their ears away from the truth 
to hear fables. They'll listen to anything today. I mean, there's many evening services tonight where it's nothing but a band playing. But that isn't anywhere in the Word of God. In the Word of God, we're told what's supposed to be happening in our assemblies. The preaching of God's Word. So that we are not led astray, but we follow the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are formed up to be like Him, worshiping Him in a perfect way. Amen. The Lord helping us. Amen. And the man of God is to be dedicated to this task. I read in 2 Timothy chapter 2, in verse 4, that he's not to be entangled in the affairs of this life. I read in chapter 4, verses 13 through 15, he's to give himself wholly to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. So there's a division of labor. The New Testament church, teach Jesus Christ teaches the division of labor. Some men have been called to study this word and to get up and to rightly divide it to teach you the truth. Amen. And then you men are to go do what you are called to do and gifted to do. And between the two of us, we can all survive and be perfected in the form of Jesus Christ. Amen. And we need both. The word of God, these aren't my words, so I'm just going to preach them anyway. Romans chapter 10 and verse 15 says, They have beautiful feet. How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. I'm not going to show you mine. But the point is, men who bring you the truth have beautiful feet. And I hope you believe that. I hope that we want to celebrate hearing the truth as much as those Israelites did in Nehemiah chapter 8. Didn't they show a spirit about hearing the word of God that we ought to have? As soon as he stood up in the pulpit, all the people stood up. And did you read how long their service lasted? And they stood there with their children. They stood. They didn't have air conditioning, and they didn't have chairs. They stood. And it was long. And it was reading the Word of God distinctly and giving the sense. Yes, indeed. That same boring thing we do here. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 12 about teachers... The ones you've had in the past, the one you have now, and I simply say that, as I've already said, because it's the Word of God. In 1 Thessalonians 5.12, we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. That's what you're supposed to do with them. Esteem them highly in love for their work's sake. What else can you do? Receive their teaching with a ready mind. Acts 17.11, the Bereans were more noble than those in Thessalonica because they received the preach word with a ready mind. I want to hear the truth tonight. I can't wait for them to open the word of God and show me something. Then they went home and searched the scriptures. Ah, don't we have some balance? Yes, we do. Search the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Now, when a pastor is never helping you, be able to search the scriptures. He must be trying to hide something from you, or he hasn't he doesn't know that. But that's why you three men have those tools. Because you have limited time and limited resources. I want you to have the best tools, and we're going to get better than the three books, to be able to find the answers to see if your pastor is teaching you the truth. We have a blessing they didn't have in Berea. And I'm not talking about Berea High School area. <laughs> or West Greenville. I'm talking about Berea in the New Testament. They didn't have the Word of God in every home. 
they would have to get up and go down to the synagogue to be able to read the Word of God and see what Paul had taught them was the truth. Brethren, pray for your teachers. Pray that God will save them from temptation, save them from error, save them from darkness and confusion, open their eyes, show them the truth, bless them with the Holy Ghost, make the Word of God plain and open to them, and help them to rightly divide it. I need those prayers. I ask for them. I beg for them. I want to teach you everything this Bible has for us. And the thing I'm teaching you tonight is, there is an error in our society right now because we live in an unusual time. This was never a problem when there weren't any Bibles. All men, and when men were illiterate, now we have 100% literacy, plus we have everyone has a Bible, plus everyone now has the Internet. They all think that they don't need a teacher. In the past, it wasn't as important of a deal, but now it is. It's an error. I want you saved from it. I want you to remember the importance of your teacher to pray for him. Not only should you pray for him, you should pay him. And I, Because the Bible says you ought to, those that preach the gospel should live of the gospel, and I'll leave it right there, and the last thing you ought to do is obey him. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 7, when he preaches you something like I did this morning, and what I preach you this morning is more important than what I'm preaching you tonight. In my opinion as your pastor, my judgment is your pastor. What I preached to you this morning about whatsoever you do tomorrow or the next day, whether therefore you eat or drink, whatsoever you do, to do it to the glory of God, Amen. to do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, Amen. giving thanks to God and the Father by Him, to do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. That's what I want you to take out of here. When you hear a message like that, if you need to review the outline, pull it off the email where you can get it tomorrow. If you need the tape, order the tape. A dollar? If you need to be reminded of how you need to be living your life, obey. If I do my part, and you do your part, and we both pray for the Lord's blessing, the Lord can open this to us. Amen. All of it. Amen. All of it. The only thing that hinders us is slothfulness on one end, or both ends. Right. It's all. The Holy Ghost is waiting. He wrote this book. Do you think he wants us to understand it? Indeed he does. God wants us to know him and to know him perfectly. I trust that you'll esteem the teachers that you've had, the one you have. You'll pray for them and you'll obey what you hear. And brethren, let's go out of here and live like the Lord Jesus Christ tomorrow, giving glory to God in all that we do. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Amen.